This morning, the first passage we're going to look at will be in Exodus 21, although we're going to be looking at a number of passages today. I think it's probably been about three years since I addressed this subject, and for many churches around the country, uh, this is still a Sanctity of Life Sunday, this Sunday, and, uh, and so my focus today is going to be on uh, the matter of abortion as a reminder of why we hold the position we hold on it. As I'm sure most of you uh, will remember, although you might not remember the specific date, on Friday, June 24th, 2022, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, and uh, the Christian community, especially in our country, celebrated a great victory. Uh, But we also became acutely aware of the fact that the battle for the lives of the unborn in our nation is far from over. In fact, uh, in some ways, the battle is raging even stronger in many states that seem determined to promote abortion at virtually any cost, and ours would be, sadly, one of those states. It's uh, perhaps the gravest sin of Illinois now. It has been for a while but some nations are turning away from it, or states rather, while other states are uh, seeming to want to embrace it even more. And so I think it's fitting for us to consider once again the ways in which Scripture speaks uh, to this subject, uh, I think making it very clear that abortion is indeed an abomination uh, that we should seek to eradicate from our world altogether. Let's take a few moments to pray, and then uh, hopefully I can remind us of what Scripture, how it comes to bear on this subject. Holy Father, I do thank you for your great love for us. I thank you uh, for the reminder that Jesus is our righteousness, that throughout his life, he did all that he did to fulfill righteousness, as he said at his baptism. Um, He did what we could not do. For ourselves, he lived a perfectly righteous life and obeyed the law in every respect. He was guiltless, and therefore he could die as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And we're so glad that he rose from the dead and that he is now ascended to your right hand where he ever lives to intercede for us. Lord, I thank you for the reminder in this song we just sang that it is only Christ in us uh, that brings about anything good in our lives. Everything depends on him. And so help us to have a Christ-centered focus this morning in all that we do as we seek to worship you. And help us now to be good hearers of your word, good Bereans who study your word and look into your word to see if the things, whether we're hearing even from this pulpit, are are true. Help us all to be focused on your word as our ultimate authority. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, we pray. Hearts quick to obey all that you teach us in your word. And we'll give you the glory for anything good in us because you alone deserve it. We pray all these things in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Many Christians today think that the abortion issue is a a modern one, but in reality, it's a very old issue. It was around, for example, in 
ancient Greco-Roman world for quite some time leading up to the first century. Uh, And the earliest Christians had to face this issue in their own day uh, since it was a problem that had been around for some time. But they didn't cower under cultural pressure, but instead took a strong stand against abortion as writings from the early church attest. And for now, I'll just offer two instances for your consideration. I'll give you another at the end of the message. Um, And I, I think... It shows some scriptural reasons why they held their position and and why we should follow their example, and I'll give more of those as we move on. The the first example comes from the epistle of Barnabas. This isn't in the Bible. It's an early Christian writing. It's not scripture, but it does indicate what Christians in that time thought, right? Um, It was written sometime between AD 70 and AD 135 at the latest. Uh, I think most scholars would say they're not exactly sure when it was written. And in the context of love for one's neighbor, it states this, you must not waver with regard to your decisions. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. You shall love your neighbor more than your own life. You shall not abort a child nor again commit infanticide. So when when the author of this epistle thought of loving your neighbor more than your own life, what was the first thing that came to his mind in his culture? You shall not abort a child. That child, that unborn child, to him was his neighbor that he was supposed to love more than his own life even. He was supposed to love that unborn child. It's interesting, that context, isn't it? The way this early Christian writer thought about this issue. Many Christians agree with him today. Hopefully most of us, hopefully all of us, but sadly, many professing Christians have gone off the reservation on this subject. Uh, the church father Tertullian in the early 3rd century, the early 200s, wrote in his treatise on the soul that, quote, the law of Moses indeed punishes with due penalties the man who shall cause abortion, inasmuch as there exists already the rudiment of a human being, which has imputed to it even now the condition of life and death. Now, these early Christians opposed abortion because they thought it was murder and that it was against the clear teaching of Scripture. In fact, Tertullian's mention of the law of Moses in what I just read must be referring to the first of several key passages we'll look at. This one from Exodus 21. Note that he said that uh, the, the law of Moses punishes with due penalties the man who will cause abortion. I think the only law of Moses he could have in mind is here in Exodus 21, Verses 22 to 25. Exodus 21, verses 22 to 25. Where it says, If men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished according to the woman's husband uh, as the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if any harm follows... Now, speaking of a pregnant woman here, if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Um, And of course, many people think that that sounds barbaric, but actually this law is 
is doing something most laws in those times did do. It's restricting how far you can go with your punishments. Uh, people would often be punished a lot worse than what's being say, said here. And God said, no, you can only punish fairly. Um, but notice, if any harm follows, you shall give life for life. Harm to who? Well, in the context, it's this woman or her unborn child. And obviously that child is viewed as a human being uh, who, who, whose life matters. So this passage, I think, pretty clearly indicates that causing a miscarriage which results in the death of either the woman or the child is, is regarded as a capital offense. Um, and this means that the unborn child is regarded as a person made in the image of God just as his mother is regarded as such. In fact, these commands reflect the earlier commands that the Lord issued to Noah after the flood Commands that indicate that capital punishment was instituted in the first place because man is made in the image of God. Uh, this is in Genesis 9, verses 5 and 6, where we first see the first clear institution of, of capital punishment. I think it was presupposed before that time, I would argue, but it says in Genesis 9, 5 and 6, Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. Why is it a sin to murder another human being? Because that person is made in the image of God. God made that person. God gave that person life, and you have no right to take that life. Right? Unjustly. Obviously, in the same command, there's a just reason to take a life. A murderer, you, you can take that person's life justly because God has said that that's the appropriate punishment for that person. A lot of times people bring, bring up in the issue of abortion, how can you Christians hold a capital punishment? Right? Uh, as you do. Uh, and then turn around, and they, they try to see an inconsistency there. And I'm having a hard time even expressing it. It's so ridiculous to assume an inconsistency there, right? If, if someone who doesn't deserve to be killed is killed, the person who killed that person should be punished. And God says an adequate punishment is to take that person's life, who took the life of another person, um, I think we're very consistent in following the Bible on this subject. Um, but at any rate, God is applying the same punishment to the killing of an unborn child, I would argue, in Exodus 21, which means that even in the womb, that child is regarded as a person made in his image. That the same penalty for killing a person who's born, right, for murdering that person, is applied to the unborn child then that person is regarded with the same status. Is he not? Now, I know that today people regard such teachings as archaic and even barbaric, and they'll even argue passionately against capital punishment, as I've said, yet these same people will argue for their right to slaughter as many unborn children as they wish. And they're so blinded they don't see the utter hypocrisy of it. We must pray that God will open their eyes to their own 
utter hypocrisy and I would say also foolishness. Moving on to other scripture passages that I think have some bearing. And, and notice that a lot of my arguments here are based upon how God views the unborn child. Because as we've seen, that makes all the difference in how you treat that unborn child. If this is a human being created in the image of God, even in the womb, even at conception, is regarded by God as a person made in his image, then that means, right, that that person is to be treated like any other person. Here we have Job 31 as the next passage. Job 31 verses 13 to 15, where Job says, Job 31, 13, if I have despised the cause of my male or female servant when they complained against me, what then shall I do when God rises up? When he punishes, how shall I answer him? Did he who made me in the womb, or did not he, rather, who made me in the womb, make them? Did not the same one fashion us in the womb? Why is it that he has to treat even his servants with respect? Well, it's because the same God made them in his image as Job was made in his image. It doesn't matter if those servants believe in God or not. Job believes in God, and Job knows that the same God who fashioned him in the womb fashioned them in the womb. And he ought to treat them like he would want to be treated as such a person, right? So he states why it is that even those of lesser status in society, such as slaves, must be treated justly. It's because God made them in the womb just as he made Job himself. So we have very similar reasoning to that found in Genesis 9. Um, Namely, that we must respect the lives of others because not to do so would be to dishonor God as their maker not only after they're born, but also in the womb. But the abortionist, of course, dishonors God even while he is making the person in the womb, right? While God is fashioning this person in the womb, the abortionist wants to destroy the work of God. Think about what it means to willfully seek to destroy the work of God. It's the very essence of sin, is it not? And idolatry. He seeks to destroy the very life that God is bringing into the world. There's another interesting passage that I think bears on this subject of how does God view unborn children? And that's in Psalm 51. And this is a psalm in which David is describing his sin and his repentance for his sin. And I'm just going to focus on one statement that he makes there in Psalm 51, verse 5. Psalm 51, verse 5. And this is one of the texts that teach original sin, actually, in Scripture. Here, David writes, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin. My mother conceived me. Um, I think this passage is particularly relevant as well, since it speaks of the unborn child as already a sinner from conception. Um, When David says, In sin, my mother conceived me, he's not talking about his mother having sinned in the act of conceiving him. In the context of this psalm, he's talking about his own sin and how far back it goes. 
And he's saying that he himself was already in sin when his mother conceived him. In other words, from conception, he was a sinner. And therefore, guilty in some sense. This is the doctrine of original sin that's also taught in the New Testament quite clearly. I don't understand it, (laughs) but I, I believe it. It's in the scriptures. But here's the thing. Only a person can be guilty as a sinner. Inanimate objects are not accused of punished for sin. Persons are. Clumps of cells with no personhood can't be sinners. Only persons can be sinners. So this passage indicates that we're regarded by God as persons even at conception. And as persons... We're image bearers, and as we've seen, to unjustly kill a bearer of the image of God is to be guilty of the capital crime of murder. To kill anyone made in the image of God, any person, is a capital offense, according to Scripture. Now, that doesn't mean that I think that everyone who's had an abortion has that same kind of guilt as, say, the abortionist who does the abortion. For example, I think there are a lot of young women in particular who have been tricked by our culture into thinking it's not a sin to have an abortion. And when they have that abortion, very often it's only later that they realize what a, a terrible thing it is that they've done. I don't put that person in the same camp as someone who tries to, you know, make money off of aborting as many children as he can, some doctors, right? I don't see them as the same. I don't see the same culpability. Intentionally killing someone is not the same thing as manslaughter, for example, in Scripture, and not under our law either. So I'm not saying we should treat them all, kill them all. I'm not saying that either. Um, I think we should have great compassion on a lot of these young women who have been lied to and deceived into taking the life of their own child. I think we should have great compassion for them. I think that we should praise God there, but for the grace of God, go you and I. And we should praise him that we have not succumbed to such deception. But we shouldn't lie to them as other people have lied to them either. We should tell them the truth about what has happened, that they have been duped into murdering their child. But God can forgive, and he does. There's one famous murderer in the Bible that we all know was forgiven, and he meant to be a murderer. That's the Apostle Paul. He tried to murder as many Christians as he could. He says so. But he said, Jesus forgave him for that blasphemy and for what he did. And he said, because he did it in ignorance. Well, there are a lot of young women out there who have done a lot of things in ignorance. And God will forgive them too. If you're one of them, God will forgive you. If, he hasn't already, if you haven't already received his forgiveness, you can. But let's not minimize what it is because we feel sorry for these young women or their partners in case, some cases. Let's not minimize what it is because of that. It's a terrible thing to tell someone they've murdered their child. But it's the truth. 
even if they didn't mean to do it, it's still true. And we must tell the truth. However much it breaks our heart to tell it. We must tell the truth. And then bring them the love of God. And the forgiveness that only Christ can give. I got off track there a little bit. Let's get into Psalm 106. That's the next one I want to bring up. And this doesn't seem to pertain. But it's it's germane to the subject overall, I think. Psalm 106, verses 34 through 38. I bring this up for a particular reason. Because I think we're getting at what's behind the abortion industry in our culture. With a passage like this. Psalm 106, beginning in verse 34. They did not destroy the peoples concerning whom the Lord had commanded them. Remember that the people of Israel were supposed to destroy certain people in Canaan when they came in, and they didn't do it. But they mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. Remember, the reason they had to get rid of these people is because of how sinful they were and that God didn't want them to follow these patterns, these sinful patterns. How did they learn their works? Well, they served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. Now, for the biblical teaching that it was actually demons were behind many of these ancient idols, such as Molech, for example, there are passages like Leviticus 17.7, Deuteronomy 32.17. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 10.20 and 21. Um, There's clear teaching that there were demons behind a lot of these idols that people were worshiping. Um, the idol itself is nothing, but the spiritual entity often behind these idols, that's something. Demons are real, and they deceive people, and they cause destruction and death. And that's, that's what was going on in the idolatry in Canaan in those days. It was demonic. And what did they do? They sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons, and shed blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Of course, one of those idols was Molech. That was one of the idols that demanded sacrifice of children. Now, the reason I share this passage is simply to remind everyone that abortion for the sake of an easier life for the parents, which is usually what it boils down to in one way or another, to make things easier. And there's no way around that. We shouldn't kid ourselves about it. But abortion for the sake of an easier life for the parent or parents is no better than when the ancient people of Canaan sacrificed their children to demonic idols such as Molech. In fact, abortion is the modern Molech, I would say. It's no different. They sacrificed their children thinking their lives would be better by be made better by these demonic idols. People sacrifice their children for easier lives now. And it's just as idolatrous and demonic as the sacrifices back then. Now, today people read about such ancient cultures and cringe at their barbarity. Yet they don't see that they are every bit as cruel and barbaric when they sacrifice their children to a modern Molech of selfishness and greed which is what it usually boils down to. Our land, therefore, is, as Canaan was described, polluted with blood.
upon which God has brought his judgment. We're seeing the judgment of God in our culture in lots of ways. Read Romans 1 and then sometime and then look at our culture and you'll see our culture has been under God's judgment for some time and deservedly so. I think that's what's behind abortion. There's, we're, we're fighting against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Satan is behind it. It's demonic. Sin is, is why there's abortion. Another psalm, which is, I think, very pertinent. It's the last primary text we'll examine. Is Psalm 139. Some of you are wondering why I haven't gotten there already. It so clearly pertains to this. Uh, Psalm 139 probably is one of the first things that cropped in, popped into a lot of your minds. Uh, Psalm 139, beginning in verse 13, says this. Psalm 139, 13. For you formed my inward parts. David's describing how great God is here. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. It's almost as though he's saying, I may not be sure of a lot of things, God, but I'm sure about this, how marvelous your works are. And then he says, my frame, and this would literally mean the bones or skeleton, was not hidden from you. Uh, God had x-ray vision, right? Right. was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. And this is a metaphor for the depths of the womb, right? Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there was none of them. Even when he, he was a substance yet being unformed, there were days written for him already. There was a life planned out for him already by God. When as yet there was none of them. I mean, he wasn't born yet. In fact, he was still an unformed substance at this point. There wasn't even a day of gestation in his mother's womb yet. That's what he's talking about. There's not a day of life for him yet. Now, clearly in this passage, David is declaring how intimately God is acquainted with all the moments of his life. Even as far back as his existence in his mother's womb, where God himself was skillfully overseeing his prenatal development. Notice the movement further and further back in time when he describes this in the text. In verse 13, he declared that God was there forming him in his mother's womb. When you get to verse 15, he declares that God was there even when his bones were first being formed. And then in verse 16, he declares that God was there when David was a substance yet unformed. He's going further. He's thinking about God's involvement of his life in the past. He's going as far back into his past as he can go. Saying, God was there then in charge of my life. Not just now, but then. Even when I was this substance yet unformed. Now, the Hebrew term for substance here is golem. It refers to the unformed child or embryo in the womb. Uh, that's uh, as Spiros Zodiatus has it in the complete word study uh, dictionary. 
here we have David being thought of by God as a person whose life was planned out. Every day of it was planned out. Even then. So this is why Christians believe all these kinds of passages. This is why Christians believe, and this is why we, those of us who believe the Bible anyway, have taken such a strong stand against abortion. We believe that life begins at conception. Now, more and more biologists are saying that all the time. Even liberal biologists are admitting it now. Life begins at conception. We never needed a biologist to tell us that. To begin with, we're not stupid. We have some common sense, right? And I think common sense would have told you that, even without a Bible, right? But, but the Bible makes it very clear that life begins at conception. But God re- views us as persons then. And unborn children, as we saw in Exodus 21, are in the eyes of God every bit as much people with what we would call rights as people who have been born. You don't suddenly get personhood the moment you come out of your mother's womb. Some people try to say, which is one of the more foolish and ridiculous things I've ever heard anyone utter in my life. It's astonishing, the foolishness of such thinking. It's hard to believe human beings made in the image of God could ever think such utterly stupid things as that. But they do. They say it. They deceive themselves into into these ways of thinking because they bought the lives of demons. And that's how stupid demons make people when they deceive them. By stupid, I mean spiritually stupid. I don't mean intellectually stupid. We have some really brilliant people with high IQs aborting children. It's not because they don't have intellectual brilliance. It's because they're foolish, spiritually stupid. They have no wisdom or, or common sense, morally speaking. They are hypocrites of the worst kind. Now, there are a number of other passages that also refer to God's work in the womb or of his viewing children in the womb uh, as persons. Isaiah 44, 24 says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord, who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads abroad the earth by myself. The same creative power by which God created the universe is the power at work in the womb, is what he's saying. And those who want to fight against the creator of the universe, no wonder they fight against his creative work in the womb. Jeremiah 1.5, God told Jeremiah, before, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. He was known by God in some personal way before he was formed in the womb at all. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. So it's clear from all these scriptures that God is sovereignly at work in the wombs of mothers and that he views those in the wombs of their mothers already as persons in his image. So we can understand then why the early church took such a strong and clear stand against abortion in their own day and why we should today. We should not give up this fight in our culture. 
Can you imagine any human being more in need of someone to speak for them than unborn children? Who will speak for them if we don't? God knows very few people in our culture will. Well, maybe they'll speak for some of them up to a certain trimester and pat themselves on the back for having done so. But they won't speak for all of them. We should speak for all of them. We should be faithful to the teaching of Scripture on this point. The didache, it's a Greek word for teaching. It just means the teaching. The full title of it is the teaching of the 12 apostles. The 12 apostles didn't write it. It was written as a reflection of what they believed the apostles taught in the churches. It was most likely written in the late first century, perhaps as early as AD 70, and it gives instruction to Christians for daily living. And the book opens with this declaration. It says there are two ways, one of life and one of death. And there's a great difference between these two ways. Now, this is the way of life. First, you shall love God who made you. Second, your neighbor as yourself. And whatever you do not wish to happen to you, do not do to another. Those are the basics of the two ways of life and death. Then about a page later, it goes on to sternly admonish believers this way. It says, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not corrupt boys. Oh, God knows there's a lot of that going on these days. Uh, and girls. But in the first century culture, they would do that. They would, men would take young boys as sex objects, basically. They're saying, you can't do that. Not if you're following the way of life. It's a sin. You should not be sexually promiscuous. You should not steal. You should not practice magic. You shall not get, engage in sorcery. You shall not abort a child or commit infanticide. Right there. Anybody who follows the way of life will not do this. The way of life, they mean the way of everlasting life. By faith in Jesus Christ. May God grant us the faith to take such a stand in our own day. I hope we've all seen that it's a grave sin to attack the work of God in the womb of a mother to take the life of an unborn child. And that we need to make this clear to others as we apply scripture in a way that helps to restrain evil in our community, that helps people to see their need for a savior, I hope, and that helps us to be reminded of the holy standard we're called to live up to as witnesses for Christ. Now, I know uh, that... Uh, not everyone here may be, a, may be a Christian. I don't know if there are people in this room who have taken part in having or getting someone else to have an abortion. I don't know. I doubt, I doubt it. I have family members who are guilty of that, and I'll just tell you what I've told them and what I said earlier. You can be forgiven. God will forgive you. Jesus Christ died for sinners just like you and me, even for those 
who have committed murder, whether they meant to or not. We'll call it manslaughter, negligent homicide, if you will. It's still a sin. God will forgive it, just like he's forgiven all my sins. He'll forgive all yours. All you have to do is ask him. Trust that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Trust that he is who he said he was. Fully God and fully man in one person. That he lived a righteous life for you. Died on the cross so that your sins may be forgiven. Rose from the dead so that you might have everlasting life. Forgiveness full and free. It's a free gift. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You just say, Jesus, please save me. Just trust him and him alone and he'll save you. And he'll forgive you. And he'll bring you peace. He'll take away your guilt. He'll take away your heartache. He'll give you joy. He'll put you on the road to recovery. Like he put me on that road. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we know that there are, are, are things in it that are hard to say because they're so hard for people to hear. And we need courage to say them. And we always want to say these hard things with the love with which you say them. We want to say them in the light of Christ and what he has done to save sinful people. We want to say them because we want to share the love of Christ with these sinful people. We want them to know what we have found in Christ. Forgiveness for all of our sins. Everlasting life. It all is a free gift. If there's anyone here today who has committed such a sin, Lord, please forgive them and save them, we pray. And for those of us who have heard this message and have been convicted that maybe we haven't been as diligent in uh, facing this issue as we should be. Forgive us. I, I know that for me, one of the reasons it's hard for me to think about this is because it's so terrible. I don't want to look. I don't want to think about it. It's too terrible. It grieves me too much. I can't bear it. But I must bear it if I'm going to love those around me. Give me the strength to look, to see, to care. When it's so hard to look, help me to see. Help us all to do that. Because there are people suffering that need us to see. Help us, I pray, as we go forth from here, to go forth in the love and power of Christ and the Holy Spirit. I pray these things in the great name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you once again for your kind attention.